Diabotard. Welcome to another short news flash podcast from PortugueseSoccer.com. I am your host, John Neves. Um, I did a count, and tonight is my 40th podcast. So I'm pretty proud of that. Obviously, I've been doing this regularly since about March, um, but it kind of started last summer, but I like to think of it more since last March. And uh, Today, I finally decided to count, and yes, it was number 40. So very excited about that. And again, as always, thank you for your listens. Thank you for your suggestions. And if all goes according to plan, I'm looking forward to having somebody on next week uh, to do a uh, to do some talking about Portuguese football, Portuguese soccer. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that uh, next week. Um, as I always do in every podcast, let's talk about the schedule. I'm dropping this podcast on uh, October the 1st, a Thursday. <laughs> I mean, just hard to believe we're already in October, but we are. Um, tomorrow, Friday, chances are when you hear this, it already would have passed. Is going to be the Europa draw. And, of course, uh, we only have got two teams playing in the Europa groups. And that, of course, is Benfica, which unfortunately was eliminated from the Champions League. Um, they're going to be a seeded team, as will Braga. Um, and they will be the two Portuguese representatives in this year's Europa League. Both of them will be seeded, so it stands to reason that they should wind up getting hopefully a good uh, draw, maybe uh, maybe pick up a good team, and then maybe have two other teams or clubs that uh, they can take care of business and grab the uh, six points out of them. Uh, and then, of course, uh, this weekend, Liga. We are on the third week of the Liga schedule. Uh, Porto on Saturday hosts Maritimo, and uh, on Sunday, uh, Sporting, as if it you know just doesn't get any easier, they're going down to Portimonense in the Algarve um, uh, to play uh, their match. And uh, Benfica, uh, they of course uh, will be playing at home against a team that will be coming from the Algarve to play them in the Luz, and that of course is newly promoted Ferenc. Not the Feyrens from Santa de Media, the Feya, the way because they're kind of pronounced almost the same. The Feyrens from Faru, uh, from Algarve, um, newly promoted. They'll be playing uh, Benfica and Deluge on uh, Sunday. Schedules, of course, at PortugueseSoccer.com or PeaceSoccerCom username. That is the Twitter handle, or of course on uh, Facebook. Um, and then, of course, um, next week is going to be the international break. On Wednesday, Portugal will be taking on uh, Spain in a friendly. They'll be playing so essentially three matches during this international break. And then on uh, Sunday, uh, next weekend, uh, they will be going to France to play uh, to play in Paris against France. And of course, last time Portugal played France in Paris, we of course know how sweet that was. Um, and then, of course, the following week after that, on the 14th, Portugal will be playing Sweden. But as far as next week goes, Wednesday, they'll be playing uh, Spain, uh, the national team. And if you remember, they were supposed to be playing Spain back in June, which, you know, if things were normal, meant that they would have played Spain and played some more matches getting ready for Euro 2020, which, of course, as you also know, has been pushed to next year. Um, so that's pretty much uh, the schedule. But as always, it's good to have uh, weekend league of football. And of course, uh, looking forward uh, to watching that as I always do. Um, I want to give a shout out to Gold TV in the U.S. Um, I know the announcer uh, follows us, Nino. 
I'm hoping to having on a podcast in the future as uh, well. Um, we're going to start this podcast first talking about the heartbreak. Uh, let, let me just say that 2020, the year Portuguese clubs in UEFA, is horrific. If you remember what happened to us back in February, where a lot of the clubs that were left were all eliminated, the way Benfica lost to Shakhtar. I mean, it was just a big disappointment. And then, of course, this year, although Riwav has given us some good moments, unfortunately, tonight, three chances to win in the penalties. Uh, an unfortunate, th- there must have been maybe two seconds left because after Milan made the penalty kick to tie it 2-2, the referee blew the whistle right away. I mean, that's how close Riwav was to making the group stages. But it was not to be, and the chance to beat uh, Europe, well, I don't think they're a European giant the way they were 20 years ago, but at least to beat a a, a brand name like AC Milan would have been, well, no doubt, one of the biggest country, uh, you know, contributions to Riawaf's history. But it was not to be, and um, they lost, and unfortunately, um, you know, that's it for them in Europe. But hey, they did give us a win, and they did give us two draws toward the coefficient points, which I'll talk about later. Uh, remember, even though they lost tonight, they did finish after 120 minutes tied. So it goes down as a draw, just like when they drew last week against Betsikas in Turkey, which was, you know, a fantastic win for them, putting them in the position to play Milan tonight. But heartbreak, heartbreak to see a Portuguese club lose this way. If you had a heart problem, this was not the penalty kicks to watch. Everybody... You know, it was like in baseball, batted around. Even the goalkeepers got to take a PK. And, of course, neither one of them, you know, uh, made it, of course. But it just was excruciating to watch. It was very nerve-wracking, a lot of stress. And it feels so good in that situation when you win. But, unfortunately, this time, Riuav, a Portuguese club, was on the losing end of it. And it's just uh, very disappointing. And then tonight, what made the night even more of a disaster is, of course, sporting. Losing four to one at home, um, it's. I mean, it's. I'm. I'm just kind of speechless. Um, I want to give Lask their respect, of course. I mean, they did come in and score four goals and beat Sporting, but Sporting is a top three club in Portugal. They are a regular contributor to playing in Europe, and this shouldn't have happened. And it is, according to the record, one of their five worst losses at home, top five all time. And it's just a black eye for Portuguese football, Portuguese soccer, whatever word you use in your part of the world. And it's just a disappointment, period. Um, Now we have only three teams left in Europe. uh, Benfica, Braga, and the Europa. Porto in the Champions League. And that's just not good for Portugal. You know, that's not good for Portugal's UEFA ranking because now instead of five teams in the groups gaining points, now you only have three. Now we are fortunate that next summer, Next year, uh, we do pick up an extra European berth because the top two teams that finish this season in the Liga automatically go to the Champions League. Third place plays, uh, you know, the playoff and the, uh, excuse me, the preliminary third round and then the playoff. And hopefully, if that works out, we could have three teams in the Champions League next year. But we at least know we have we have two. And then, of course, you have all the Europa spots. The, the winner of the Tasa de Portugal automatically goes to the group stage of Europa. And, of course, we have our spots for Europe. So next year, 
Uh, if I believe I'm right, you're going to have up to six teams playing in Europe. Um, but this year, as of October the 1st, we only have three, and it's a big disappointment. But I guess if there's a silver lining to this, it's probably our best three Portuguese club. Let's admit it. Porto, Benfica, um, and Braga. You know, they were kind of the three best teams last year, even though I know Benfica struggled down the stretch. Um, but they were, you know, at least in terms of the table, the three best teams. Sporting, you know, they've obviously have done very well up until before tonight with Ruben Amorim. They did very well when play resumed, winning the first eight matches before, you know, they lost their uh, last two. But one of the reasons why they did so well when play resumed back in June and July was because of one player, Giovanni Cabral. He scored a lot of goals for them. He scored last week for them, too, before he got hurt. And when you score goals, it solves a lot of problems. You look at Portuguese history. Usually the team with the best goal scorers usually win most of the time. And unfortunately tonight, although I know the youngster Tomas scored, um, it's obvious that they need more scoring from other parts of the lineup. And not sure what's going on with Sporer. He was one of the top scorers in last year's Europa League. Um, but the bottom line is some of the, the team that they built bringing in the players they did, and I'm sure those players expected to be playing in the Europa League. That ain't going to happen now. Sporting now could basically start concentrating on domestic competitions. Tasso de Portugal starts next month. They obviously could worry about the Liga now. Um, and then, of course, there's the Tasso de Liga, the League Cup, later on in December, and they've got to finish in the top four to qualify for that. Um so maybe the fact that they're playing less matches with the young team they have, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Perhaps I'm throwing a silver lining out there that sporting fans do not want to hear. But major disappointment. But can they benefit from it? I remember a few years ago when Paulo Fonseca was managing Braga and Braga got knocked out of the Europa League, didn't make it to the group stage. Braga, the rest of that season, had a great year. And part of it was because they didn't have to worry about European football. Now, worrying about European football is a good problem to have. But if you're playing less matches, that means less injuries. And maybe with the team that Sporting has, because they're playing a lot of young players, give them a lot of credit, maybe this is the situation they need to get to the point where they're going to become the type of club that I think Sporting fans expect from them. But right now, more disappointment toward Verandas. There's more disappointment toward the team, and probably it's a good thing that there were no fans in the stands because chances are the supporters would not have been very happy. And, of course, if you know the story from a few weeks ago, uh, Sporting is evicting uh, the supporters from their, um, you know, they've got some property that they use to store their equipment near the stadium, and they're being evicted. Of course, this happened a few weeks ago, but the point is, is the relationship is tense. The results are not happening on the pitch, at least in terms of what happened tonight with Europa. And this is not a good situation. And I, by the way, look like a fool because during one of my prior podcasts episodes, I had mentioned that, um, you know, and I mentioned this when they won their first eight games when play resumed. I'd mentioned that I thought sporting had a chance to compete for the league. So we'll see. Maybe that could still happen. Hugo Viana said tonight that the best days are still to come with this team. Uh, and that's, of course, sporting's uh, sports director. We'll see if that's true, but today 
They got knocked out of a big competition. They're going to lose about six or seven million euros, which, by the way, sporting needs that money, just like any Portuguese club needs that money. So not a very good situation. But now they've got to concentrate on the Liga. They got to concentrate on the Tasa de Portugal, and they got to concentrate on the League Cup, which gets going later on uh, this year. Porto, of course, today was the Champions League uh, draw. Um, not a great draw for Porto, I don't think. Obviously, Man City heavily favored to win this group easily. Um, Marseille, Andres Villas Boas. There's three Portuguese managers by this group, obviously Conceição, and then there's Village Boas with Marseille, which a lot of pundits say will probably finish second in the group. That's the prediction. Um, Village Boas, of course, what do you need to say about him with his ties to Porto? Former manager has already said one day he wants to become president of Porto. Um, so he'll probably lose a few votes if he uh, beats Porto. Uh, uh, one of my cousins joked about that tonight, but um, I think that's 50-50. I think any time Porto and Marseille play, any one of those teams could win. Olympiacos from Greece, Pedro Martins, Portuguese manager. Ruben Semedo hasn't left uh, Olympiacos yet to go to Benfica. He's still there. Uh, José Sá, the, the, you know, the Portuguese goalkeepers there, of course, Porto product. Um, they've done very well with Pedro Martins. They won the Greek Cup. They were in the Europa. You know, They made it to playing. Uh, they knocked out Arsenal just before the pandemic, went to the Emirates to knock out Arsenal. They're playing pretty good. Pedro Martins is doing a heck of a job in Athens, Greece. He's doing a heck of a job. And I've been fortunate to be in Greece in my life. I went there many years ago to work the Olympics. They love their football, their soccer in Greece. The newspapers there are just as crazy as they are in Portugal. And he is very much loved in Greece. He's done a heck of a job. So, you know, on paper, some would say that Porto probably is going to finish third and go to the Europa group stage. I think that between those three teams, Porto has, yes, definitely has a chance. But, man, it's not going to be easy. It's just not an easy group. And I don't want to sit here like, you know, some people talked about how they how Benfica should beat in a Greek team like Pac and look what happened. You got to be very careful with, with Olympiacos. You got to be very careful with Liga 1, although it's always – feels so good to beat a team from France. And then, of course, you know, if you could rob a point to get a draw against Man City, that would be a heck of a result. And don't forget that every time you win a match, last time I remember, I think it's like a million euros you get. If you draw, you get a half a million euros. Porto's playing for money. They need that money too. Um, Alex Tellish, as of this podcast on October the 1st, is still property of Porto. Porto won at least 20 million from Manchester United. Um, if they're not going to get it, then they're going to probably keep them because like Ojogo said, what, you know, of course, you know, the money that you would make if you have Alex Tellish playing in the Champions League, that makes your team better. And obviously, if you make more money in the Champions League, then that's actually a good thing to keep Alex Tellish. But unless Manchester United comes across with a $20 million deal, uh, you know, it's not going to happen. And then also tonight, RTP. Um, and of course, as well, Jogo had on their cover is that uh, apparently the Tony Martinez saga is done for about three and a half million. Uh, Abola, and again, I, I know Abola is not, of course, uh, the most reliable source with Porto. They say that they don't think it's officially done yet. So, but I think you have to take the word of Ojogo. And RTP, which is you know not necessarily breaking news, 
you know, they're talking about it as well. But I think we all knew that was going to happen, that Tony Martinez was going to go to Porto. He already has stopped playing for Familia Kong, and that's what he wants. And $3.5 million is a pretty good deal for Porto uh, to buy. Um, by the way, let me also just – one comment I wanted to make about the uh, Champions League, um, and that's the Champions League draw. I get it when they do a World Cup draw, when they do a European Championship draw why they'll have music, why they do interviews, because you want to see the culture of the country that's going to host the competition. I get that. But when it comes to the club competitions, you know, these are draws that are taking place in the middle of the day when a lot of people are working. And I know a lot of times the reason why they do that is because those club executives, although they are not allowed this year for obvious reasons with the pandemic, but in the past, um, you know, they do it so that those executives, the ones that go to represent the clubs at the draw, can get back to their countries right away and take those late afternoon flights um, out of Geneva. Um, but, I mean, they do the awards in, you know, they do the the, the, the draw for the first uh, pot, then they do an interview, and then they do an award, and then they do the second pot draw, and it just drags it out, you know? It's just like a long foreplay, like get to the point, you know? Uh, why not have a show, and I think people would watch it, you know, where it's just for the awards. And the players, whether they do it via Zoom, whether they, uh, you know, in normal times actually go to the uh, the event, um, you know, they could do it better. I just, they just get so drawn out. I got, I'm just frustrated. You know, you're sitting there, you're trying to do your life, and it's just dragging, and it's dragging, and with all due respect to the winners, but it's just like, come on, get it over with. Um, I'm not the first one to, to feel this way. I certainly am not going to be the last, but uh, maybe it's to do more commercials. I don't know. It's just very frustrating. Let me end it uh, like that. Um, next topic I want to talk about is, of course, attendance and fans uh, attending matches in Portugal. And the update is as follows the Azores, the Azores, um, are allowing Santa Clara this weekend 10% of the stadium capacity, up to 1,000 fans, uh, to watch the Santa Clara match against Gil Vicente. What I find very interesting is if you remember when play resumed back in June, July, the regional government wasn't allowing Santa Clara to play their home matches in the Azores. Uh, Santa Clara had to go to the mainland and they wound up playing their home matches at Cidadu uh, Football. Um, now, of course, it's okay to play the matches, and obviously it's a better situation than where we were a few months ago. Although, to be fair, while it's okay in the Azores, as we know, tastes have been, been kind of climbing in Portugal in the mainland. But I guess the first domestic Liga match is going to be this weekend with fans. They're going to use it as a test case. But the big test case for fans in Portugal is going to be with the national team matches. Uh, next Wednesday's match against Spain is going to be allowed 5% of fans in the stadium in Alvalade. And then the following Wednesday match against Sweden, they're going to allow 10%. Now, this has upset a lot of people in Portugal. And the one that was the loudest about it this week was Porto president Pinto de Costa. Obviously, he's defending his club. But I think he spoke for a lot of clubs in Portugal where, you know, the people that are making these decisions, he says they don't understand the football industry. They don't understand the damage that they're doing. And why does the national team get to have be the test case, the pilot scheme, so to speak, but not the domestic competition, which has been playing for a few weeks? 
And the truth of the matter is clubs in Portugal are losing a lot of money when they don't have fans in the stands. If you were a club like Familia Kong and week one, you hosted Benfica, you have a full house. It's one of the biggest monies you make all year um, in terms of tickets, in terms of people that buy the Superbac or Sags, in terms of people that buy the Bifanas, in terms of the people that sell the kits and the scarves outside the stadium. Um, but they're not allowing it with Liga matches. And they don't really give an exact reason other than to say that the health, govern- the, the health authorities want to do the test with the national team. But they're not necessarily doing with the Liga. And this upset me into the Costa. And there's other people in the Liga, like the Liga president, who wants to see up to 30% of fans tested at Liga matches. And right now that's not happening. Um, but it's just very disappointing because there are other activities in Portugal that are allowed people to attend. Um, but yet, for some reason, football, at least the Liga mainland that is not counting the in the azores which are run by regional government you know they're not allowing them and this is becoming a very very big problem for the clubs now you obviously hope that the test case the pilot scheme that they do with the national team works because then that'll make it a case for the portuguese clubs then to start to have fans and look when they start it'll probably be 10 percent, and that's you know not a lot but it's something but Portuguese clubs right now are hemorrhaging money. You know, they're losing money, especially a club like Sporting that just lost out on Europa, Pafica that just lost out on the Champions League, and Porto needs to make sales. They need to sell players. Everybody needs money. And if you could have fans in the stands, which not only helps the environment, it also helps the, uh, the uh, bottom line. I don't think we'll see 100% fans anytime soon until a vaccine comes. And even when a vaccine comes, you got to wait for a whole country to get vaccinated. So I don't think we'll see any fans, or at least 75%, in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, until probably next spring is, is my opinion. And that's if everything goes well with the vaccine. And remember, Portugal just bought a whole bunch of doses from one of the, uh, I think one of the companies in uh, England, uh, through an agreement with Brussels and the European government, uh, you know, however that was done. But in every country, that's going to take a long time to vaccinate people. It's not like you get in and you can walk in the next day to your pharmacy and get a vaccine. It's going to have to wait a very long time. Um, Benfica. Big deal this week with Ruben Diaz. You got to give Benfica credit. Why a lot of Portuguese teams are making sales, they're pretty modest. Benfica, boom, right off the bat, makes a $68 million sale. Um, big time move. They did buy out the Mendy for about 15. Um, but big time. They're also about to loan Venetius to Spurs. The loan fee will cost them three million. Big time money for Benfica. And of course, if the Spurs are satisfied with Venetius, they could buy him next summer for 45 million. So Benfica this week had a very good week. They won their Liga match, they made a lot of money, at least making money because they certainly spent, you know, close to 80 million in reinforcements and the money they spent on JJ coming back. So last week was a bad week for Benfica. If it was a stock, it was trending down. This week, things look a lot better for Benfica with this deal. And Ruben Diaz going to a big club, another Portuguese player playing in a big club. You've got three players now in City with Ruben Diaz, uh, Cancelo, and of course, Bernardo Silva. 
This is great for the national team. As I've said in my past podcast, the national team of Portugal is must-see TV for most football soccer fans. Some of the best players in Europe are on the Portuguese national team, not just Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes. And now you have another big player playing for a big-time club. So this is a fantastic thing for the national team. And obviously, it's uh, good news for Benfica. Um, Otamendi for Ruben Diaz. I mean, look, the, the Benfica defense wasn't that great when play resumed, if you remember that Santa Clara match. Um, you know, is Otamendi going to do a better job? Well, we certainly hope so if you're a Benfica fan. But, you know, he is a little bit older. But maybe his experience is what attracts JJ to bring him. And we'll see what happens. But uh, it was a very good week for Benfica. A very bad week for sporting. And I'd say it was a pretty okay week uh, for Porto. It's going to get better once they official, you know, make it official with Tony Martinez, which does appear uh, to uh, be happening. Um, one comment I want to make as I end this podcast, um, uh, want to talk about another podcast quickly, um, that I thought was treated very unfairly. And that's the sporting 160 podcast. Long story short, they were going to interview a basketball player on sporting named Travante Williams, uh, Travante Williams. Um, I follow the Portuguese basketball league very closely. Um, I like it. Um, the Portuguese basketball federation runs the Liga in Portugal and a lot of times, two or three games per week are on their YouTube channel for free, by the way. And then usually they show a game on RTP2. Um, but these last few years, ever since I saw Benfica play in a cup a few years ago, um, I was pretty impressed with the athleticism. And uh, Williams is one of the best players in Portugal. He's an American. He played in Alaska, uh, Alaska Fairbanks, which is a Division II school. And he came to Portugal, did fantastic alivarence. And then moved to Sporting when Sporting started their basketball team last year. And Sporting 160, the podcast, had made an arrangement to interview him. They even went as far, uh, Travante Williams, that is, went as far um, to even, you know, mention it on his Twitter, giving a shout out. And then 10 minutes, 15 minutes before the broadcast, uh, Sporting pulled the plug on the uh, interview uh, initially, from what I understand, the press officer thanked them for interest in interviewing with their basketball player, but said that you know they didn't follow protocols. And then when the press officer was pressed for an answer, it turns out that uh, they weren't very appreciative of some of the comments that uh, Sporting 160 makes about the president. And look, every fan is very critical of their team when they're not doing well, and they're very happy about their team to say good things when they do good things. And 10 minutes before they're going to record, they pull the plug. Uh, very disappointing. Uh, the, the the guys that run Sporting 160 are a bunch of immigrants, uh, like myself, you know, uh, son of immigrants, you know, I should say. And um, I've actually dealt with Sporting over the years for a few things, not a lot, and they've always been terrific. So I was very surprised to see this. And obviously, I'm very disappointed that this went down this way and that, um, you know, that they were treated this way. And I think sporting, which, you know, likes to talk about being a big club. I, you know, with all due respect, guys, you could have done a better job on this. This was very, very ugly, not the way you want to handle it, regardless of, you know, whatever you think of the uh, podcast. Um, cases in Portugal, we'll end it right here, are still going up a little bit. 
especially the number of people dying. So hopefully Portugal gets it in control. Usually takes a few weeks to get it under control. So hopefully in Portugal, they'll get it under control in the next week or two, and we'll have some very good news uh, about that. Um, Folks, this is the end of podcast number 40. Again, please follow PortugueseSoccer.com. We got Twitter, we got Facebook, and I'm looking forward to next week, hopefully, um, you know, to have uh, somebody with me on this podcast. Looking forward to interviewing him. He just went to Portugal, so I'm very curious to get his opinion on what's going on over there with COVID, and he's one of the best uh, pundits there is when you want to talk about Benfica uh, or Benfica period. So, again, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for your comments. Thank you for your support of listening to this podcast. And I'll talk to you next time.